All right. Will you take out, if you brought a Bible, uh, turn to, to Luke chapter 18. If not, your bulletin has the, the Bible verses printed there. And we have been working our way through the gospel of Luke. That's pretty much how, how we, we teach at Valley Brook. We pick a book and we just work our way through it. So we are in Luke 18. And actually, I'm out of order, but um, uh, we'll go back and cover the first few verses next week. But uh, this is a great text to look at. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as we open your word, especially as we are, are outside and there's many distractions, we just ask for you uh, to give us open ears, open eyes, open heart, to hear your word, uh, to apply it to our lives, to believe it with, with all we have. And may you be glorified, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So here we go. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, so who's he talking to? People who think they're good enough. People who think they're righteous before God. And amazingly, you know who most of those people were? The religious people. So he's talking to the Pharisees and the religious people who think they're pretty hot stuff, right? And they also treated others with contempt. So not only am I religious and righteous, but other people, um, they looked down their noses at them. So here's, here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So Pharisees were religious Tax collectors were notoriously uh, known as sinners because not only did they collect money from their fellow Jewish friends for Rome, the enemy, right, but they usually embezzled. They said, you, you're going to pay me more or I'm going to turn you over and put you in debtor's prison. So uh, they were corrupt. People hated them, and they usually knew they were sinners. So two guys go to the temple, religious dude and a tax collector, boo, right? The Pharisee, the religious guy standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can see him looking over his shoulder at the tax collector, probably spitting on the ground, right? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So his prayer was, God, look how righteous I am, right? But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, now here's his prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. All right, so one presents his righteous record to God. The other one, he's got nothing to offer, and he just asks God for mercy because I'm a sinner. Now here's the shocker, verse 14. I tell you, this man, the, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. That means 
right in God's eyes. He went home justified rather than the other. The other one did not go home being declared righteous in God's eyes. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The most important question that you need to ask in this lifetime and, and that you need to get the right answer to is this. What must I do to be saved? Right? A lot of stuff going on in the world. A lot of stuff about the economy and racial issues and social issues and lots of important issues. But the most important thing you need to, to ask is, what must I do to be saved? There was a, a jailer in the city of Philippi 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul was in jail, and there was an earthquake, and the doors flew open. And the jailer thought, uh-oh, the prisoners are going to escape. If I lose my prisoners, I'll be killed. So he pulls out his sword, and he's ready to kill himself. When Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't. We're still here. And he puts down his sword, and he, he rushes into the Apostle Paul, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Now, most people have the wrong answer to that question. Here, most people... Uh, if you were to ask them, how do you go to heaven? How do you make sure you're going to heaven and not going to hell? Most people would say, well, if you're a generally good person, you go to heaven. And if you're just a really, really bad person, you go to hell. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. In Luke's gospel, there are at least three stories, three, uh, two parables in one event that scream against that answer, that say that that's the wrong answer. Being generally good gets you into heaven. Being really bad sends you to hell. Here are the, the three. First of all, there's the parable of the prodigal son. We looked at that uh, on Easter actually. And the story of the prodigal son is, everybody knows it, there's a father, he represents God, he has this younger son who hates his father. He hates him so much that he says, Dad, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but I do want your money, so I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to ask you to, to divide up the estate and give me my share of the inheritance now. And the father, who represents God, rather than slapping him, does it. He, he gives him his share of the estate. And this good-for-nothing son goes off, and he lives a riotous lifestyle, and he spends all his money in sinful living, and he ends up working on a pig farm, which is the worst thing a Jewish person could do because you can't eat pig. So he, he, uh, he longed to eat the, the, the pig food. And he says to himself, you know... It'd be better for me to go home. Now, Dad will never accept me as a son, but it'd be better to stay out in the barn and work as a hired hand. So in shame, I'm going to go back 
and, and beg and plead and see if I can work my way into just being a hired hand. At least I'll get a meal. So he takes the long walk back home. And the father, every day he's out looking on the horizon and he sees this good-for-nothing son coming. And he doesn't wait for the son to get to him. He runs through town and sees his boy. And, the, and then the question is, as Jesus is telling this story, what's he going to do? Is he going to hit him? Is he going to disown him? He embraces him. He weeps over him. He puts a, a, a robe around him, gives him a ring, and welcomes him back as his son. What's the point? He didn't have to work to earn his father's approval. He didn't have to earn it through being a hired hand. His father saw his repentant heart and he received him back by grace. Grace is another word for undeserved gift. But what does that story teach? That God receives sinners, no matter how bad they are, repentant sinners who turn toward him, he will run to you and receive you by grace. Right? That, that's the first uh, story in, in the Gospel of Luke that screams that you are not saved by working, by, by being good enough. You're saved by Grace, And we'll talk about how that can happen in just a minute, right? Second event in the Gospel of Luke. Have I ever told you about the thief on the cross? So Jesus is crucified between two, uh, one Gospel says two thieves, others, others uses the term criminals, probably insurrectionists, um, who all their lives have been criminals. And in Matthew's gospel, the crowd is heaping insults on Jesus and both criminals are heaping insults on Jesus. Right? And then right toward the end, in Luke's gospel, we read that one of the thieves, one of the criminals, something happens in his head and, and he starts to see that this Jesus really is who the crowd says. They're mocking him for being a king. They're mocking him for being the Messiah. But all of a sudden in his heart, in the last moments of his life, changes and he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, remember doesn't mean just think about me. Remember means act on my behalf. So this guy has the audacity to live an entire life of sinfulness and in the last moment says, Jesus, save me. And I, I want to be in your kingdom, which they're dying, so the kingdom has to do something with the next life, right? And you would think Jesus would turn and say, not on your life. I mean, look at your record. How can you earn your way into heaven with a record like that? But he doesn't say that. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. What does that teach? 
you're not saved by your record. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and, and something Jesus does for you. Your, 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 your trust is not in you, it's in him. And then the third story in the Gospel of Luke is the one that I just read. It's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Real simple story. A super moral religious guy and a low-down sinner both go to church. One presents his list of righteous religious activity before God. The other just in, in shame says, have mercy on me. Jesus says the righteous religious guy did not go home right with God. He did not go home saved, but the other guy did. What does that teach? Salvation is not by presenting your record, your goodness to God. It's by trusting in the mercy of God. These, these three stories are illustrations of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Only repentant, humble sinners will be saved, because by definition, placing your faith in a Savior, placing your faith in someone else to save you, demands humility. It demands not trusting yourself. It demands trusting him. Arrogant people say, well, I'm pretty good. So I'm trusting my record. Or they do this. I kind of understand that Jesus died on the cross for sins, and I believe in that. That's good. So I'll take that, and I'll supplement that with my goodness, my record. This parable actually teaches that not only are you not saved by your works, but if you're trusting in your works, you can't be saved. If you're doing the, hey, Jesus, thanks for dying for me thing, along with, look how good I am, guess what? That's, what? that's what, in essence, the Pharisee was doing. He thanks God, so God gave him the, the stuff to live a good life, and he presents his, his record that God helped him do to God, and he was not justified, all right? Now, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I want to point out two things that led to his deception, that led to him thinking he was good enough before others, right? The first thing is he relied on comparison. Take a look at, at verse 11. He's comparing himself to others. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So um, here's his problem. He thinks that judgment day is going to be based 
on how good he did compared to others. And you know what? If you want to feel good about yourself, let's say today you're feeling kind of bad about your temper, your lack of self-control, whatever. All you got to do is find somebody worse than you, and you can feel pretty good. And that's not, that's not hard to do. Okay? But here's the problem. On Judgment Day, if, you, if you're not trusting in Christ on Judgment Day, you're going to be graded not based on how you did compared to others, but you're going to be graded by God's perfect standard. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. If you're not believing in Christ, it's perfection to get into heaven. In other words, Judgment Day, it's not going to be based on a curve, a grading on a curve. It's going to be based on a straight scale. Now, let me, I brought along my whiteboard here. So um, I am a professional artist. So, <laughs> so here's, uh, how many of you are teachers? Raise your hand if you're teachers. Okay, so if you're a teacher... You know that um, grading on a straight scale is, is something like this. So 90 and above is an A, 80 and above is a B, 70 and above is a C, 60 and above is a D, and anything below that is an F. That's a straight, straight scale, okay? Now, I went to school out at Northern, out in DeKalb, back. I went, actually, my classmate was Moses. That's how long ago it was, all right? And uh, I remember one particular class. I had a business law class. And everybody walked out of the class saying, I failed. I totally failed that class, uh, failed that test. And when we came back, the the professor handed out our tests. That was back, they graded them by hand, you know. Um, and out of 100, I got a 56, which on a straight scale is an F. And I thought, okay, you know, there are other careers that I could pursue here, right? And so the teacher passed out the papers, and he said, you know what, um, this is a pretty tough test, I'll admit. So we're not going to grade it on a straight scale. We're going to grade it on a curve. Now, when you grade it on a curve, what you do is you take everybody's total, and you add it, and then you divide it into an average or a mean number, and then you, you do a bell curve like, kind of like this, and then uh, depending on the standard deviation and all that kind of stuff, you divide this into sections, and uh, this 20% gets an F, and this 20% gets a D, and this 20% gets a C, and this 20% gets a B, and this 20% gets an A. 
And as he's explaining this, you know, he's writing this all on the board, and um, he says, so um, I need to tell you the lowest grade, and I think, I think it was such a hard test, the lowest grade was like a negative something. That's how hard the test was, okay? And he said the highest grade in the class was somebody who got a 56. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Fort. No. Um, so here's the deal. If I were to be graded on a straight scale, I would have got an F. But they graded me on a curve by comparing me to the other students, and I was the smartest kid in the class. I like being graded on a curve. But the bad news is, on Judgment Day, you are not graded on a curve. You are graded on a straight scale. And it's really a pass-fail, okay? So here's the straight scale. 100% is a pass. Anything below 100% is a fail. So if you were to grade yourself today, how would you do? And this, you know, Judgment Day is about um, every thought, every word, every text has to be perfectly pure your entire life or you fail. The problem with the Pharisee is he was grading himself compared to others. That has nothing to do with the justice of God. The justice of God requires perfection. Would you want to worship a God whose standard was lower than perfection? Right? So the Pharisee's first problem was that he thought he was going to be graded on a curve. Or, yeah, on a curve. Um, so he thought he was pretty good. Comparison. His second problem was this. He offered his religion, his religious rituals before God. So take a look at verse, uh, verse 12. I fast. That means you don't eat. Not just once a week, but twice a week. Take that, God. right? And I give tithes of all that I get. And Jesus points out that the Pharisees not only tithed on their income, but their vegetable garden. You know, nine seeds for me, one seed for God. Right? So he's presenting his religious activity before God. But here's the problem. Religion doesn't get you into heaven. Now, you go, well, aren't you a church? Shouldn't you be religious? Well, it depends what you mean by religious, okay? Religious, God, God gives us things to do. He, like today, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion. That's a ritual. That's a good thing. Well, it can be a good thing unless you have the wrong heart, right? Um, some people turn religious rituals into magic rituals. If I just do them, then I'm good with God. Right? So in uh, 
in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in your name and do miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name? And I will tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoers. You go, wait a minute, they were religious. Yes, they did their religion to feel good about themselves, to earn God's approval, to look better than others. Religion can be wicked. Some people do their religious rituals as magic rituals. To somehow you do, you do the spell, you say the chant, you recite the Lord's Prayer, and you think it's somehow affecting God to accept you. Right? Let me do a, I'm going to do a, um, a magic trick. It's not real, people, okay? Some people get upset with this. But it's just, it's a, it's a ritual, and we're going to see if, um, if it works, okay? So take out a piece of paper and a pen or a lipstick or something. And I'm going to make a prediction here, all right? So my prediction is here. All right, now here's what you have to do. Now, I have found that kids under the age of 25 cannot do this. So <laughs> they come up with things like England. All right, so <laughs> here's what I want you to do. Think of a number. Let's keep it easy. Say between 1 and 20. All right, you got it? Write that down. Everybody do it. Raise your hand if you got that number down there. Okay, now double it. Some of you can double it, some of you can multiply it by two, some of you can add the number by itself, whatever. You got it? Who's, who's got it doubled? Okay, now, here's where it gets hard. Add 12. Add 12. Somebody have a calculator? Some of these people need help. Okay, 12. All right, so now, you got it. did you add 12? Okay, so now what I want you to do is divide that new number in half. Divide it in half, divide it in half. Okay, now that new number, here's what you're going to do. You are going to subtract your original number from that number. You with me? You with me? Okay. So now you're going to convert your new number into a letter. One is A. Two is B. Three is C. Four is D. You get it all the way to Z. You go, what if it's 26 or higher? Start over again. All right, do you have a letter? Raise your hand if you have a letter. Now I want you to take that letter and think of a state in the United States, the 50 United States, not Guam, not England. <laughs> That begins with that letter. You got it? Everybody got a, got a state? You got one? Okay. All right. Now, here's what I want you to do. Think of the third letter in that state. And think of a fruit that begins with that letter. Y'all got a fruit? Not if you got a fruit. Not if you have a fruit. Okay. So here's the question. How many of you thought of an orange from Florida. Raise your hand if you got an orange from Florida. Okay, it's not real magic. 
It's just a little formula. If you do it, here it is. It's x times 2 plus 12 divided by 2 minus x. Convert it to a letter. You're always going to get f. There's only one state that begins with f. Rhode Island, Florida, right? Third letter is an O. I don't know of many fruits that begin with an O, right? Um, but that's the way some people, all right, so that's a magic formula. Some people are like, if I go to church, I give my money, I read my Bible, I've, it's a magic formula, God owes me salvation, and this guy was not saved, right? So, who was saved? Well, the tax collector, right? The tax collector. Now, it says he went home justified. What does that mean? Well, it, it means he went home declared to be right with God. Really, declared to be perfect in God's sight. Okay? Now, here's, here's the difficulty. How is it just? How is it right? How is it fair for God to declare a guy who's sinned his entire life to be perfect when he's really not perfect? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus is our substitute. That's why he died on the cross. His death on the cross was in our place to pay for our sin. And his perfect life is also given to you. So when you, when you trust in him, when you like that thief on the cross say, I have nothing to offer God. Like the tax collector, I have nothing to offer God. But I need to be righteous. I will place my trust in Jesus. And he died for my sin. And his record becomes mine. You are justified. You are declared perfect in God's sight because of what he did, not because of what you do. That's the beauty of the gospel. You know, all other religions in the world basically say you gotta earn you gotta earn your way to heaven. Problem is you can never be good enough. So God in his mercy becomes a man, lives a perfect life in our place, dies a death in our place, and he says, Here's what you do. You have to be humble. And trust in me. Trust in Jesus alone. Not 90% Jesus, 10% you. 100% in Jesus. And the moment you do that, he declares you just, right, perfect, heaven-bound. Right? Have you done that? Or are you trusting in your record? Or are you trusting half in Jesus, half in you? Are you comparing your record to somebody else's record? Are you presenting your religiosity to him? 
So the, the Philippian jailer runs into the Apostle Paul. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord, what good news, what great news that we sinners who have nothing to offer you like the, the tax collector, like the thief on the cross, like the prodigal son, we have nothing, nothing at all to offer you. And when we see that and we, we place our trust, our faith in you, you and your love, give us a perfect record. You forgive our sins. You declare us just. And we're heaven bound. Lord, I pray for, for anyone here who has not in their heart trusted Christ Holy Spirit, do your work, change hearts. May we be like that thief. May we be like that prodigal. May we be like that tax collector and just cry out and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, Lord, as you change hearts, may you create lifelong disciples, followers of yours. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.